Well, we're halfway there. We're 21 days away from Jesus entering Jerusalem on that donkey. But Lent doesn't stop there. Lent goes all the way. But we are halfway through. Today's the 19th day, if you will, of Lent. So it's a, for me, it's a time to pause and see what it is that, that we're trying to do in accepting the church's invitation, which was passed on to us on Ash Wednesday, when Father Chris turned to us and invited us to join the church in a season of fasting, a season of learning, and a season of giving. So it's a time to spend in the desert for purification, if you will, for prayer, for discipline, for growth, for sacrifice, a word that we no longer use very often. Because we think that sacrifice is something that must hurt. Sacrifice is something that uh, must be painful. Do you know what the word means? It comes from two words in Latin, sacra facio, to make holy. So what is it that you do in your life that you make holy? That is sacrifice. Yes, and sometimes we have to do some things that are a little uncomfortable to make them holy and offer them to God. But what I've found in my life is that if I do something prior to doing it, I offer it to God, it goes easier. Now, that is an experiential thing. I can tell you about it, but if you don't experience it, you may not believe it. So in the middle of Lent, let me use this word, the, the question that Dr. Phil generally asks. So how that's working for you? How's that working for you? How's Lent working for you? What is your life now? Is it different? Offering this time of the year to God is a positive act. So what has come of that? In this period of time, what we're trying to do is to come to a meeting time with God. And no better lesson than the Old Testament lesson today to talk about meeting with God. Now, meetings with God back then uh, had a, uh, a word, theophany. And a theophany is a time when the divine and the human come together and where they cross at that point, God and man are talking. Now it could be through an angel of God or it could be God himself. And in this story we find two. If you remember, Moses killed an Egyptian. He was a murderer in the eyes of the Egyptians. So he escapes. Now we do not know where in particular he went. However, he went to the area of Midian because he marries the daughter of the priest of Midian. And Jethro, his father-in-law, was a sheep herder. And he lets Moses work in the business, if you will. So he is walking and grazing the sheep. 
And we're told that he goes beyond the wilderness, something that you did not do with your sheep because you did not know what was beyond. And you could lose sheep to predators. But the writer says he continues on all the way to Mount Horeb, which is considered to be the mountain of God. Now, by now you know something's gonna happen. I mean, they're not, they're not gonna leave you hanging. They're gonna tell you the rest of the story. So what happens is that as he's walking the sheep, he sees a bush that is burning, not unusual, but what is unusual is that it's not being consumed. When was the last time you burned something and was not consumed? Huh? But a little bit different. So Moses says to himself, I have to stop and turn and look at this. And as he approaches it, then the back and forth, the transaction, verbal transaction between God and Moses takes place. And God says, this is holy ground, take your shoes off. And then God says to Moses, I want you to leave the comfort of your home, the relationship with your wife and your father-in-law, your work, your job, and I want you to go and do something for me. I have heard the cries of your people and my people. I want you to go to Egypt and liberate them. What would you do? I don't know what I would do. My call was different. I did not have to give up that much except a nice comfortable position and about $10,000 income a year to become a deacon in the church. It was okay. And I always warn those who are going into the ordination process, you're not going, or I hope, you're not going into this for the dollars because they're not there. So leave your comfortable life and come venture to bear fruit for me. Liberate your people. And then Moses, just like any one of us, if you remember Charlton Heston saying it in the movie, but I can't do this. I'm, you know, me? No, I can't do this. And God says, I'm gonna be with you. It's almost like, you know, a buddy says, let's go do this. And you go, I don't know. Well, I'm going to be with you. Come on, let's go. And God walks with him and is with him. And as we know, the plagues and, you know, all the things that happen. But God says, you go and you bear fruit. And later on, God repeats this with Jesus and sends Jesus to bear fruit. And what was the fruit that Jesus bore at the time and is still bearing? Look around, look at the person next to you. And Jack, you can look at the wall or you can look at me, okay? Hey, all right, all right. We are the fruit of God's effort. Good, bad, indifferent, lofty, lowly, but that's who we are. And then Jesus, in his wonderful way, in the story in the gospel, tells a parable about a fig tree. 
we're not very familiar with fig trees. You know, we may go to Whole Foods and get, you know, a bag of figs, but we really are not familiar with what goes on. The fig tree was a very important fig, uh, tree at the time. It, it was an adornment. It looked good, but it required a lot of work. It required a lot of, a lot of soil, watering, which was difficult in an arid area like that. And then the expectation was for it to bear a crop. And I looked this up because I made a mistake in thinking how many crops a fig tree would give a year. Now it's a fruit tree, but it gives two crops a year. The first one, the breva, throw it away. It's not necessarily poisonous, but it will make you sick, and it prepares the buds to then grow the figs. And the story that Jesus tells is that the, the owner of the vineyard, where this fig tree was, comes up to the gardener and says, you know, I've been waiting for this tree to bear fruit, and he hasn't done it, cut it down. It takes too much space, it takes too much work and it's not giving anything, it's just taking everything. And the gardener says, sir, uh, let, me, let me ask you to be patient for one more year. Let me work on it, let me put manure in it, and let's see what happens in a year. And in that intercession, the owner says, okay, let it be. The master expected the tree to bear fruit, he expected to brighten the place where it was planted, as others did, to give something back for all that it had received. However, as the story tells us, the tree did not give fruit, ate all the nutrients, took all the labor, and there it was. What is that saying to us? What did Moses do? He got to work. He went and got to work, and he worked very, very hard for many, many years to receive what? He never saw the land of milk and honey. He never saw Canaan. The rest of the Israelites entered, but he did not. His job was done. The job of the fig tree was not done. The fig tree needed to bear fruit. Uselessness invites disaster, we know that. We know, for instance, in our bodies, if you don't use a member, an arm, a leg, a foot, it atrophies. It becomes abnormal. The normal is for that member to be fully functional. So we are called to be fully functional. We're all called. People think that only those with, with these rings around our necks that sometimes cut off the blood to the brain are the only ones called. No, we're all called. You're called to be a mom. You were not born that way. You're called to be a mom. Our choristers, they were not born to be choristers, but God blessed them with a gift and they are using that gift to praise God everywhere they sing. 
So we're called to be moms, to be dads, to be anything and everything. These four gentlemen up here, it's Sunday morning. They could be reading the New York Times, drinking a cup of coffee, but no, they've been called somehow to serve at the altar of God, and this is what they're doing. We're all called to do something. And the operative word is do, to take action to do something. Being useful means doing the little things that are necessary to show others the kingdom of God. And I want to end with a little story. This story shared by Alexander White of St. George's Church in Edinburgh, England. There was a salesman by the name of Rigby that would come around the church every so often. And Rigby had a desire for other people to get to be where Father White preached and because of the music. So he one time invited someone to go and that person said, eh, I'm not going, forget it. So he tried again, please go with me. I'd like to take you as my guest and the man goes. Now this is the morning of a Sunday and on or about three o'clock in that afternoon, the man that Rigby invited comes to Rigby and says, I understand that there is a six o'clock evening event at the church. I would like for you to go with me. So Rigby goes, and it is at that time and in that place that this man, nameless, decides to become a Christian and be baptized. The next day, Rigby is packed up and ready to go, and he would love to meet Father White personally. He's never had a chance to do that. So as he's passing the house, he is teeter-tottering, do I do it, do I not do it, and so on. Well, he goes ahead and knocks on the door. Father White opens, and he says, I wanted to meet you because your sermon Sunday night was so wonderful that I just wanted to let you know. He says, this is really odd. I thought it fell flat. In seminary, we had a saying that if your sermon falls off the podium, throw it away. Never look at it again. So he was very depressed about it, Father White said. And then he said, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch your name. He says, Rigby. He says, man, I've been trying to meet you for years. Come on in, sit down, sit down. And he brings out a box of letters. And in those letters, there are many, many times where Rigby's name is mentioned. I would have not been there, Father White, if it hadn't been for Rigby. And Father White said, in these letters, there are 12 letters from young men, and four of those have entered the ministry. A simple invitation. That's the little stuff. None of us have to walk on water. None of us have to have a beam of light come and talk to us from heaven. The little things, helping others, doing things, offering those things to God. When God needs something done, he finds someone and then that person is equipped to do it. God does not find equipped people. He finds people to equip. You've been equipped. You have a gift to give to someone. You have a way of introducing someone to God. 
as we are halfway through Lent. How is it going for you? Are you letting people know the God that lives in your heart? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.